Hey, what's happening, guys? New episode of Eastman's Elevated here. So, made it back from the North Country, all safe and sound. Uh, what an epic trip that was. I just had so much fun running around that tundra chasing caribou. Uh, so, I recorded a full episode that, that covers it from start to finish, and, and that'll be coming out shortly, so be on the lookout for that. Um, today's podcast uh, is back from when we did the podcast tour. So I went around with Guy and Ike. We visited some different hunting companies and then sat down with the personalities behind them. Um, so today's is when we sat down with First Light. And so we sat down with uh, Kenton Carruth, who is the founder at First Light, and his right-hand man, Ryan Callahan. Just a great couple of guys. I really enjoyed meeting them. Uh, sitting down and talking with them and then recording the podcast. Uh, they just have such a passion for outdoors and, and for hunting and, and just for building quality gear that, that makes us more effective in the hills. And so uh, really knowledgeable guys that, that really know their stuff. And so you'll enjoy today's episode. Uh, we also have a couple stories that I had them tell. And so we told those at the very end of the podcast. So you can hear the, the day that Kenton quit Copenhagen and then uh, Ryan Callahan also has a really good story in there. So uh, really fun to record those and, and share those with you guys. Uh, today's sponsor for today's show is uh, First Light. So um, again, First Light's just building that next level hunting gear for us. And they build some of the best merino wool on the market. But they also build everything in between you need. You know, whether it's uh, insulating layers, shells, uh, build great pants. Um, they, they've just got everything to complete your system for hunting the mountains. Um, so make sure to check them out. They're building good stuff. Um, over there at Eastman's, it's getting exciting. Uh, hunting season's here. We're, we're all out on hunts. I, I saw, I uh, got a text from Guy. He was able to get um, just a bomber doll sheep up there in Northwest Territories. And, and he was up there for quite a while. And I saw uh, Dan Picard. He's hunting Sitka blacktails. He was waiting to, to get up into the Alpine in, environment up there and chase those things around. I just got back from a caribou hunt. I know the other guys all have hunts planned. And so it's that exciting time of year where we're, we're all getting out hunting. Um, so make sure uh, if you... Uh, uh, lucky enough to harvest a trophy, make sure you share your story with us and send us your story. And then um, make sure to subscribe to the magazine. Uh, we got a bunch of promos going. I've still got the promo for the podcast, Elevated 617. We'll get you both magazines for 20 bucks, and, and they'll throw in an elk call if you pay shipping and handling. Um, I've also seen promos for um, Yeti Rambler out there and um, some other good ones. So make sure you guys subscribe to the magazine. Uh, we're, we're working really hard to put out the best content we can for you guys. Um, and with that, let's get this thing rolling um, really fun with, with Kenton and Ryan from First Light. Um, here we go. All right, I'm here on the Eastman's tour. I've got uh, Ike and Guy with me, and we're over here at the First Light headquarters. I've got Ryan Callahan, and I've got Kenton Carruth. Um, how are you guys? Good. Doing great. God, you guys got a beautiful spot here. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. I can see that big muley up on the ridge. I've been through there. Um, but yeah, really cool spot. Uh, so this is really cool. So we're at your guys' headquarters. So I just want to start off and get a little personal background. And, and maybe, Kenton, um, you can start off and, and just give me some, some background of you and some background of the company and how you guys got started here at, at First Light. Yeah, uh, Scott Robinson and I... Um, the, Scott's the other half of First Light. We were um, both kind of came from the traditional outdoor industry, you know, um, ski, snowboard. Um, I was a photographer, um, and he worked for Smith 
uh, sport optics for a while, but you know, we were kind of entrenched in that, but super into archery hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, somewhere around 2002 or three, we started, um, wearing merino wool for like, you know, backcountry skiing and sledding, snowmobiling and, you know, whatever. And we really liked it a lot, you know, we're like, gosh, this stuff would be great, would be great for archery hunting, you know, because you go back, it doesn't smell, it's super comfortable, it wicks. Um, and then that was kind of when we started talking about it, and that was the impetus. We just, at that point, the biggest trick was nobody ever printed on wool. Um, and for us, that was necessary because, you know, in the mountains, you know, you, you know, so even opening day of archery, which around here is, you know, August 30th, it'll, it's not uncommon for it to be freezing, you know, it'll, you know, you'd rather pick up and it's freezing and then later on by you know whatever nine ten o'clock it's you know 70 degrees so you're always down to your base layer so that's why it was critical to have camouflage you know so then we kind of went on this project and figured out how to print on merino and away we went that was the beginning of the company and then it just kind of took off and so you guys were the first ones to print yeah on, on merino wool yep yep and then and that had to be a major challenge in itself. Oh, it was such a pain because you know wool acts quite a bit different than differently than um, than a lot of synthetics. You know, and the wool is a little more sensitive to heat, so you can't use paper. It it was tough, but basically that was 2007. It's our 10th anniversary, and I pretty much quit my photography deal by about 2009, and I think about 2010. Scott who was a VP over at Smith Ford Optics was full-time and then from then on you know starting 11 we did outerwear and it's been you know cranking since then yeah for sure it's so cool and then and then ryan when did you come on the scene i came on full-time uh that winter of 11 okay yeah and what did you do before then uh oh just living the seasonal lifestyle (laughs) good Uh, for you yes yeah two two yellow labs in the back of my truck and that was my home for a good chunk of the year. Um, so, uh, guided, uh, my season would start with, uh, white water and then fly fishing and then hunting. And so, I'd, uh, basically would guide year round and then I'd fill in with, uh, man, I mean, swinging a hammer to bartending to, um, doing, uh, outdoor, uh, TV production. Okay. Yeah. Enjoying life to the fullest. I I still do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure. So you guys are on your tenth year anniversary. Yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. Crazy. But we were, we were talking here earlier that ten years ago is when you and I started talking. Yeah. We did a, a giveaway with your Marina Wolf. Actually, the first year it was black. The second year was when you guys figured out how to print on it. You guys were one. Of, you guys were the first like major magazine that found out about us it was kind of funny we were it was probably 2008 and then you guys had a two-page article about first light that was a big deal for us because you know we certainly couldn't afford it any kind of ad you know we were tiny literally you know and we started literally in a space half this big for the first year whole trade show booth fit in a suitcase yeah <laughs> a small satchel <laughs> i don't remember guy do you remember how how we found first light i i think dad found you guys him and mike wick down in the basement at 
A tier shot show maybe. Yeah, that with your great. satchel. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> man, you got these guys got merino wool. And of course, our dad's a big wool guy. Yeah. And he was really into it and went and checked it out and got. I think you guys sent us a couple samples and that's where the article came from after that. Yeah, we were down in the basement by the bathroom at shot show. That was back when. You know, that would have been my dad because he was visits the bathroom right every <laughs> 60 minutes. <laughs> you got to go check these guys out. They're down by the bathroom. I feel bad for them. But they got a great product. I knew that was an asset. <laughs> but no, it was, uh, you know, that was, we kind of snuck in there. In 2007, you could still kind of get into Shot Show, right? right? And it wasn't even in Vegas that year, was it? The, that was the, the year that we were down there was one of the early years that it was back. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, our very first year, it was in, we were in the tents back well, when it was in was the, the Hilton. Or, it was at the convention center. Yep. Yeah. And then the second year, we were down. That was the second year we were down there in, in, by the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time. You guys have learned a lot. Oh, my. It's crazy. When you think about, I mean, we were so green back then, you know. But it was cool. I mean, you know, it's. Cool. It's America, right? We had a unique product that nobody else had, and I think that people that didn't pay attention—I mean, literally—I think they thought we were selling like camo sweaters, like they were <laughs> you know, they, you know. So it was cool. We definitely enjoyed a lot of the popularity that it, it, it was receiving in the traditional outdoor space, you know. So a lot of the guys, like ourselves, that had been exposed to it, whether it be through, you know, Ibex or Icebreaker, Smart Wool, all of a sudden, like, whoa! Finally, somebody makes it. So it helped us, really helped us get started without having to have any zero advertising budget because people were already pretty keen to it. You know? and like your dad, you know, wool was known, of course, in the hunting industry, but it was really 99% army surplus wool. And so Merino was, it was a crazy place to start, right? Because we had, it was black ASAC camo, which was you know, super crazy because there was no, there were no other non-stick and lead patterns at the time. Right. And then you have merino wool, so you're fighting this battle of educating on this crazy camel pattern that was anything but standard, and then you're educating on the merino thing that nobody knew about. So you're literally like stopping people in a trade show hallway and like. Feel my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, creepy! Get away from me. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the wool had a shtick for a long time of being itchy, and that was—I mean—that education of merino wool that it, you could wear it against your skin, and it would be actually more comfortable than than cotton. I still have to educate people about. Yes. That. Yeah, that was tough, and that made it difficult to, you know, upon initial development because we knew we were going to get one shot at the at convincing people to put wool on. So we really went out of our way to buy like super nice wool, make sure we had super nice wool processing because if it was itchy at all, we were in right, shape. Right. You're sunk, right? Yeah. As soon as if, if that first year would have come out and all of a sudden people would have gotten the forms be like, this stuff's itchy, it would have been like uh, back up and gone. Right. Mm -hmm. So you guys are tasked with not only bringing a new product to market, but getting over the stigma that this isn't your grandfather's wool. Yeah. This is wool exactly. 2.0, 3.0, whatever iteration it is, but it's not an old wool rich red and black checker coat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's it, certainly not a first time purchase for people. You know, it was more of, I've tried this, I've tried this, there's got to be something better. Right. So I, 
I guess I'll have to try this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it was it was definitely a little too out there. I would say for a, for a lot of folks. Unless yeah. you're paying damn near a hundred bucks for a shirt, you know, it better be good, right? Well, that's a lot of scratch, you know. Right. That's well, you know, it's it's coming from an animal that's grown somewhere on this planet. Right. Sheared, processed, and made, you know, it's world, not just yeah. a. Like my dad's have made out of recycled Coke pop bottles into a thread and woven. Right. I mean, it's a natural fiber. It's a yes. whole different process. Yeah. But it has a lot of inherent properties that people, I think, still even to this day are just starting to understand. Like my wife's a big marathon runner. And a lot of those people are starting to use wool. Like For they sure. just yes. open their eyes to, hey, let's use wool instead of synthetics. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, uh, you know, neoprene liners. So your wetsuits don't stink. Yeah, I mean it's, yeah, it's it's an amazing material, but it, like you say, yeah, it, uh, it's definitely been something uh, people have kind of crawled rather than uh, run on. <laughs> I think it creates hard problems, you know, difficult problems to solve, you know, especially in the mountains. One of which is that you, you know, you could be putting the screws down like crazy for you know forty five minutes climbing up something, you know, and all of a sudden you stopped and you can't move for an hour, right? You All of a sudden you've, you know, gotten to where you're going to go. You're like, oh man, we are actually too far. You cannot move. And all of a sudden, you know, it might have been, you know, you just have these wild temperature fluctuations, you know, there's no lodge. You can't go in, you know, generally speaking. And it really taxes clothes, you know, it taxes their, what they need to do. Probably a lot more than most active sport, you know, because they're just the hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. You know? Right. So, and it suits that well. Well, you guys, so you've moved from the wool base layer and you went into, you know, technical ladderware and all that stuff. How was that transition? And, and you know, what separates you guys from, from the other? You know, it was difficult because we were used to super, super high-end stuff from just being in the outdoor, you know, whether it be, you know, I'm a snowboard, so I've always really on the Burton AK stuff or Arcteryx or really nice stuff. But what what we found was one at the time that there was kind of a lack in full tier one, let's say, gear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some people were using good materials, but we also felt like that hunting is a little bit, hunting is different than, say, backpacking or, you know, being, you know, on the hill skiing or snowboard or even, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely more akin to say backpack or something where with hunting, weight plays a factor. Like you want to keep things light, but you can't venture into backpacking light because with backpacking, you know, you're on trail all day long. If you're off trail backpacking, something's not so Yeah. Exactly. Or how do the hell do I get home? But I think it's over that hill. Yeah. Whereas, you know, obviously hunting, you're in the wood, you know, you're on the trail sometimes for a hundred yards and then you're just boondocking, you know, mm-hmm. and whether it's out here where you gotta deal with willows and stuff and or you know, whatever. But you're you're way, way harder on your clothes than you would be like in a backpacking situation. Now, hence the reason, like, for instance, rain pants. We don't make ultralight rain pants, you know. We make relatively beefy-ish. We keep them as light as we can, but, like, you know, two-and-a-half-layer pants. Because, you know, if you're sitting down, you know, trying to weight something out in space rain pants, for instance, it's like all of a sudden you hear a full rip of bugle. You're not going to be like, 
let's just chill out here because my pants are going to get beat up. You know, yeah. it's like you got to need to take these off. Yeah. I mean, there's a real balance there that you need to, that, that, that you know, everybody strives to kind of meet, you know, but the, at the end of the day, hunting provides a lot more challenges, you know, the fit, like all of our fits on us, like the arms are as narrow as we can make them to where they don't really squeeze, but we want to be out of the way of strength, right? So whether a guy shoots a bad bow or shoots a, a compound, you know, if, if you have big flappy arms, and you don't have, you know, anything tied it, then that could, you know, you might be 10 days into a hunt with your one shot and then your string hits your, string hits your, you know, flap and stuff. And, and the defining, literally the defining moment gets ruined. Really yeah, I mean, there's definitely just, there's a lot of little tweaks that go into making hunting clothes different than, than, you know, traditional, like, you know, whatever, backpacking clothes. And the ultimate clothes. goal is you should never be thinking about your clothes. Right, right. They shouldn't even recognize their own. No, right. not at all. And so it's kind of a funny thing to put all that work in. And yeah. Have it be the most understated part of the <laughs> yeah. deal, but that's really what it should be. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. The crappier the weather is, the more I, you know, somebody's like, how was weather? I think it was, yeah, it was, well, yeah. And then, you know, you talk to somebody else that had crunch, but that was miserable. I froze my ass off or I was wet or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean, everybody tries to be the hard guy, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're comfortable, you're going to go way, it's going to be way funner and your chances are going to be significantly greater if you're not just constantly kind of going from under tree to under tree or right. whatever. Or, you know, for that matter, if it's hot, if you're cool, right? Mm -hmm. Cool as you can be versus just scorching, you know? Right. So that's the goal is just to make it as comfortable as we, you know, as you can make it. So let's talk about some of the fabrics and some of the things that you guys are striving for. You talked about the rain pants and that, that you're making them more durable so that you know, when you're boondocking, you're not ripping them up. What, what about some of your insulating layers or some of the other stuff? What's what's unique there that you guys are striving for? You know, kind of educate the guys out there listening. Oh, this is what First Light's about. Well, like, for, so for instance, I mean, all of our next to skin stuff is marine. And, you know, we're, and, and we have. Various blends. Well, actually, we only have one blend. We have a 65-35 blend. And the idea behind that, and that's all the next to skin stuff for when it's warm, called aerobic, you know, aerobic wool. Uh, the idea behind that is that, you know, a lot of times, you, well, the, the synthetics dry faster, no question, you know. Right. Um, so what we wanted to do is capture as much of that quick drying element as we could, yet still retain all the benefits of wool, like you know, smell for starters, but, you know, being comfortable, keeping you warm when it's wet, um, not shining nearly as much as, you know, so basically what we tried to do is take all the positive attributes from the, from synthetics and all the positive attributes for wool, blend them together, you know. Um, so for us, that's the next to skin um, system. As we get, you know, you get further and further away from skin, we start to incorporate a bunch of more synthetics, you know, because synthetics for us, um, you kind of hit a diminishing return. Yeah. Right. So it, it really for, for humans, like the way we move and everything that you can't just say like, Oh, it's, I'm going to put on a thousand grams of Merino. It's better to stop. You know, I think probably that, I don't know, probably 400 total max. Yeah. Max, max. Yeah. And then, um, 
then that'd be a couple of layers and then put on, you know, like your, uh, our uncompoggery puffy is, uh, you know, probably like our most reviewed jacket and it's crazy versatile, but it, you know, it enhances the merino and the merino enhances those synthetic fibers. So it's, it's really this moisture mitigation, um, and uh, temperature control game. And, you know, I always say that we have like the, the only true system out there because the synthetic fibers are based off of the merino as your base layer. Right. And uh, the merino is what's really enhancing the technology and the synthetic. So they work off of each other. Yeah. So they're complementing. They do. Yeah. They're both treated with 37.5. So the, the merino is, as is the, as is the insulation and the um, shell and the, all of our, you know, pretty much all of our stuff is. So basically what happens is, I mean, we can talk about this, the 37.5 things per hour, but basically what it does is that they treat it with, with a carbon, um, kind of a nanocarbon technology. So all the, basically, and what, what it tries to do is regulate the, the temperature and the humidity from inside to out. So as soon as you start to get, you know, too hot and, and you're creating a, a, an environment inside the clothes that doesn't match the outside regarding temperature and humidity, it tries to pull the humidity to the outside. And so the Merino does work really well with the, um, with the synthetic, uh, with the laminates and with the, and with the insulation. And it's always working. So, uh, I mean, a great, I mean, something up your guys' alley, you know, if you have a, you know, you know, probably like two, three hour ride horseback in some place, you're probably not dumping sweat, but if it's below freezing, uh, and you're like wearing that, uh, uncompagre puffy or one of our shells, uh, you can see frost form on the outside of your jacket. Cause that's the humidity. Coming out. Yeah, yeah. It's just pulling that moisture out. And, and I'm, you know, and you know, you're not producing a ton of heat, you know, but your body is always shedding some moisture. Uh, and then kind of the mountain hunting side of that, uh, or, you know, when you get to camp and start hiking is I'm always in my base layer, no matter how cold it is really. And then when I stop, if I throw on one of our insulated pieces, all that moisture just gets sucked right into it. So if I turn and, and burn, you know, uh, I can throw that thing inside out and that moisture will, is all there like beat it up in that jacket and it'll pull out super fast. Uh, but if I sit there, it'll work its way to the outside. Uh, and I, I think that's why our, we don't do a killer job of telling people we have awesome whitetail stuff, but that is one of the things that sets the whitetail stuff apart is you're always producing moisture when you're sitting dead still. And our stuff will take that moisture and get it to the outside. So, you know, breathability does have a, big role and sitting still and being comfortable too oh that's really cool and it's so technical the the layering systems that you use in the mountains like that and so important to have that that puffball jacket like you say to keep your heat in and then be able to shed it and go in your base layer and that merino for a base layer it doesn't get any better and there's a lot of difference in the quality I notice of the merino and you guys being the original ones out on the market, you guys have really developed your merino wool to perform flawlessly in the mountains. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's tricky, you know, because it, for instance, 
Merino is generally graded on thickness, like how actually thick the fiber is, right? So they'll okay. go and they'll take a sampling of a bunch of different fibers and say, okay, this one is it's measured in microns. This one's you know measured in 20 micron. This was measured in 15. We're going to call it 17.5, right? Because it average they average everything out. The problem is if you start to get lower quality stuff, it'll have a bunch of the thick in it and then a bunch of the thin, which creates a problem because thick stuff's still going to kind of be itchy, you know? So when you're looking for Merino, you want to find, if it says you're going to buy 17.5 micron, which is what we use for all of our next-to-skin layers, um, you want to make sure it's pretty consistent. It comes from a good, you know, shearing house. I mean, there's so much that goes, you know, but there's so much involved in that. But, you know, if you, you just got to make sure you're buying good products on the front end because, no matter how good your washing is in the after or your treating is, if you buy crummy wool on the front, it's going to feel crummy, you know. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of little things that go into it. It's definitely not like, like a normal fabric where you can just go to the store and say, I want that, you know. It's like what you think you want might not be getting, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not. We're constantly working on the entire line, too. So, our, I, I mean, I, I truly do feel like we're uh, we can compete with, anybody that produces merino um and and way more so we'd be head to head with you know some of the bigger players in the out greater outdoor world right mm-hmm. uh, but it, i mean it, to your point i mean the arrow wool stuff is the nicest stuff if we were at or it would be the nicest stuff in the building at outdoor retail i mean nobody makes stuff that i mean there's no expense that is the nicest at the blend you know we mm-hmm. use the best um, synthetics and we use the best merino and you know super good super washing there's no shrinking it's it's as good as it, we need to get better at saying it's the best because it is yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. But we're always working on it too you know so it's uh looking back and we're every year it is the best rock is it proprietary to you guys that stuff um there's another company called rab that has a similar product they develop it but it's not, it's quite a bit, I mean, we develop, it's both 37.5, but our is our arrow wool is our own wool that we source, our own super washing, so it's quite a bit different, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a different product, but we both use the same material for the 35% synthetic. Well, and I think it's so cool what Ryan's saying, just the evolution of the clothing, because along um, with the fabrics, There's also a design and a fit, like you were talking the sleeves for a bow hunter, you know, being slim fit so you never catch your string. But constantly evolving that stuff and improving it as a company, like these last 10 years, I'm sure your product has really changed from from year one to year 10, and it's probably going to look different in another couple years as well. But um, I really like your guys' design of your equipment as well. Well, thanks. It's it's super. That's the funnest part of the job by far is, you know wearing stuff, getting feedback. I mean, now we have testers literally like in everywhere, right? From Hawaii to Alaska to the North Pole. So it's always cool to see, you know, every now and then, you know, you get like a great piece of information that kind of comes from everywhere. You're like, you need to fix this. You're like, okay. You know, a lot of times you'll get somebody from Hawaii will say, oh, you need to make it better hot weather stuff or somebody from Alaska, you know, it's like, you know, it's, you, you try to do the best you can for the, the broadest, but, you know, 
the beauty about having people everywhere is that every now and then you'll get a tip that's pretty universal. Like, okay, we can we can fix that. You know, we can make that just a better product. It also helps tremendously that it is a crazy active office in a lot of different pursuits. So, you know, when we have our big product meetings in here, which which can get pretty heated on average, I would say. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's really using the stuff, you know, yeah. and it's in a huge variety of, uh, of pursuits, too, and, and there's a lot of different skill levels within the office, too. I mean, we have first-year bow hunters in the office this year, you know, so, and I think that's super important because it's not just a bunch of old outfitters going, yeah, everybody knows that. Right, you know? right, so, right. So that's through a, a child's eyes. Yeah, and that's the one th- that. thing you notice <laughs> so, that I notice here is is, and of course we're on podcast, so people can't see the environment here, the culture. I mean, I don't know if Brian said this at the beginning. We're in we're in Ketchum, Idaho. Here, this is Sun Valley. There's probably no better place to have a company like this. And you walk in, and the guys upstairs have their dogs, and you know, there's down the basement, there's a snowmobile, a bunch of mountain bikes. Some reloading equipment, some horns and heads all over. I mean, it's just a great place, like a think tank for outdoor activity. You know, everybody here has five or six pursuits that they do. They're not just hunters. They're out there skiing, snowboarding, snowmobiling, fishing, horseback riding. I mean, everything is right here at your fingertips. So you guys are like living, swimming in the tank. You're not bringing the stuff from California and test it out, take a few photos for a week and, and call it a day. That yes. you bring up a good point, and 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 it's super valuable to us too. Is that everybody does different things than hunting? Like there's plenty of stuff from other, you know, whether it be riding your pedal bike, riding your motorbike, riding, you know, hiking, whatever. Like all these kind of, you know, you have climbers in the office. Like all this different stuff is. It, it just increases the knowledge base of gear, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, anything that's regarding it, even if it has nothing to do with hunting, it helps you kind of assess the gear. And plenty of ideas will come from something totally random where it's like, oh, look at the way they did that hood. And they might only do it in, you know, I don't know, certain jackets that you wouldn't otherwise get unless it was like a, you know, specific like mountain bike deal or whatever. Or but, a full-blown belay jacket. Yeah, exactly. Know? But all that stuff, it, it helps just the general knowledge base, you know. The more stuff you can do, be having to be outside, especially having to be outside in lousy weather, just helps, you know. Probably there's a challenge for you to go, whoa, 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 wait, guys, we're not, we're not a hiking company, we're a hunting company. It, sometimes things can get a little bit like... <laughs> That's you know, probably the heat of conversations. Huh? It's funny to get passionate. Like, it's the things that you'd like to do, like, oh, how about a pocket here for this? Well, that's an extra ounce. Or how about this? You know, it's like you really do have to kind of distill stuff down, right. you know, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're hiking, you're hunting under your own power, you know, so right. weight is a big factor. But that being said, I think people get easily confused by weight, by numbers, because numbers don't tell the true story. You know, for instance, I think a lot of times with our mid-layer marinas, like the 230, you know, gram stuff. People are like, why would I get that when I could get this ultralight down puffy that weighs the same? Well, it's because ultra down puffy, and trust me, I've got plenty of them and use them all the time. They've got, you know, they, they definitely have their place for sure. But that's not a replacement for that. You know, you put that thing on and you go half as hard and you're already sweating bullets. You know what I mean? It's hot and 
it doesn't breathe and mm -hmm. you know last thing you want to do when you're hunting is to be constantly transitioning like you do want to layer but by the same token you also want to be able to kind of put an outfit on you know maybe walk in you know go up and down not too bad and then be able to sit in glass for a while you don't want to constantly be taking your backpack off your bino harness off like you know what I mean? Right. And that's where Merino truly kicks ass because it allows just this, you know, you to be comfortable in a huge variety of temperatures. And like with hunting, you know, you try, you don't want to put down the screws unless you have to. Like if so, you have to put down the screws, either you're late or, you know, hopefully you see, you know, see animals, you got to ambush them. But generally it's not a good way to go. I mean, it's the reason right. why, you know, old guys kill so much stuff is because they're like, uh, what, what am I in a hurry for? I'm not nothing but time, you know. Patience kills. You know what I mean? Yep. Patience kills. And there's, no, you know, nothing's more true than like, hey, let's go over there and see that. And, you know, you go over there and sure enough, you see them and they run away. Like, you know, like, it's just. Yeah, you make a good point about layering. The only reason we layer is because, because there's not a perfect fabric that allows that levels that out when yeah. you're, you know when you're putting the screws down like you say and when you stop there's not a layer that does both so you have to layer in order to and the least amount of layers to still be active and unactive that's what we're all striving for right. to, to top those yeah and flows. yeah every layer has its function right. and you can't skip a step and you need all of them but like the base layer you're doing a lot of hiking in that um, you know, you need that mid layer that you're talking about. That's what you're going to hunt in a bunch and what you're going to be in. You do need the puffball for when you are sitting and glassing around camp, when you're not moving, but all those layers have a function and, and you're trying to get away, like you say, with as minimal amount of layers as you right. can, that you can function in where you're not taking your bino harness off and you're not taking all your gear off and back on constantly throughout the day. Yeah. But, but all those layers have a function and you guys produce all of them. And it's also a knowledge about the mountains you know you say like these first year bow hunters you have to kind of learn that that there isn't a one jacket that fits all like you have to have each layer of the system to make it work properly yeah For sure. i mean the dream right is to have you know eight pieces that take you around the world let's mm -hmm. say um the little bit of overlap that we have in our system is because you know, people just run different, right? That's why I don't recommend a boot to everybody I know. Mm -hmm. Like, these are the ones I've tried. Try them all on, see which one fits you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you right now that uh, I obviously have access to all the gear and I don't own all of it, you know, because it, there's certain things that are with me from August to January. Um, every single day and then there's a couple of things that i swap in and out but um we certainly learned that a lot of times if it works perfect for me it definitely doesn't work good for the majority of folks so yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, people run different too some guys mm -hmm. run super hot some guys run super cold it's you know you got we're different as our favorite friends yeah Definitely. Yeah, we're all different sizes, and then we all have different preferences uh, on what we like as well. And in all of those clothing items, you know, when you guys are designing it, like the 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 perfect piece, you have to kind of use function, and, and you have to use um, you know durability, and then you you have to kind of factor in the weight, um, and then the pockets, like all that has to be factored in to make the best piece that'll fit. 
the majority of guys or the majority of guys will like. So that's got to be a tough challenge on your guys' end is designing the perfect layer piece, you know, that, that reaches a broad audience. It is. It is, you know. And like Casey upstairs, that dude will, I mean, no exaggeration, lose eight pounds of water weight in one day. Yeah. Oh man! Lord. Yeah, no, it's That's hard to stay hydrated. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I mean, the guy's a water fountain. It's crazy, and I'll be hiking right next to him, and it, it would—it's not even measurable compared to that. Like, I'd lose nothing. Yeah, and he can—you know—literally could be 15 degrees, and he's in a yana. Yeah, and he gets to the top, and of course, he, but you know, it's yeah. I mean, that's the at the end of the day, everybody's kind of different, but you know, there are certain basic things that you know you try to you know being comfortable is like obviously the most important you know and versatility like Brian was saying before but you know if you have one piece that weighs you know 20% more than something else but it, it, it enables you to have only one piece instead of two pieces net net your way ahead you know I mean if you're going to go on a big long 10 day trip you want to take two merino shirts as much as you know, you'd like to say, oh, gosh, you know, the synthetic stuff, it's lighter and this and that. But, you know, it's going to you take five of them, they're going to reek when you're done, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like. On the mental side of things, like, I mean, yeah, day five when you whip open your sleeping bag. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's nice not to gag on your own stench. You know, <laughs> mentally, it helps. But, oh, hey, it sure I'm does. I'm on vacation. I'm having a good time. Yeah. I'm not enduring a supper fest. And like you say, those normal shirts or synthetic shirts will only last you a couple, two, three days before you can't even stand it anymore. You'd have to hike out and get another shirt or pack an extra one with you. And that's where the Moreno is so nice um, that you can actually stand yourself after a few days. Yeah. And I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm not going to advocate that or act like it's some key to killing a bunch of animals. Boy, it's got to make a little bit of difference as far as like your whole, you know, smell signature goes. I mean... It just smells less, you yes. know what I mean. Yep. Whether or not you're trying to, you know, get in on a wind, you know, a wind piece of pie that's twenty degrees, and if it, you reek, it's got to go to thirty degrees. I mean, just there's just yeah. more smelly shit in the air. Oh, know? I think and you're you stick up the whole basin instead of just a chunk of it, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is obviously total speculation, but I just, you know, as a human, you know, you know. Come up on something that's stinky, you obviously smell it way quicker than something that's not. I mean, right. Yeah, and one like you said, Ike, like um, not only when you're sneaking or stalking on an animal, but I also think when you're camping for high country muleys and you're 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 baby sacking in a, a drain engine and you're trying to be low impact, like that scent coming off you, it's got to just permeate that yeah. basin and around your camp and let those animals know you're there. So a lot of times, I think you're blowing up basins that you don't even know about easily. Yep. Oh, it, I mean, it is shockingly obvious. We were on a hunt because, you know, eventually you kind of get to a point where all your buddies are wearing the same stuff. Everybody that you hunt with is wearing the same stuff. But uh, we were uh, doing a mule deer hunt a few years ago. And there was one guy, a uh, new guy on the crew, who's wearing a different brand, all synthetic. And by the second day, Everybody was like, you know what? Take these socks. Take this shirt. <laughs> you know, the dude stunk. 
And he was like a social pariah. <laughs> You're gonna have to camp in the Nick's basin over. Yeah. No, see, we're cooking over here. <laughs> I think it and it increases in importance certainly as you go switch, you know, to archery tackle and let alone, you know, using a compound I mean a, a trad bow where you have to get really close, but you know, it probably isn't nearly as important if you're, you know, shooting at the you know, three and four hundred yards, but boy, when it comes time for like kind of close quarter stuff, it, it's got to make a difference. Oh, the wind is such a huge factor when you're bow hunting. So yeah, yeah I, I don't know how it couldn't make a huge difference. You know, it's and, uh, you know, you look out here too. We have these like giant south facing slopes that just radiate heat, and then the north face can be you know thirty degrees cooler. And it creates some crazy wind activity. And you realize why, you know, you bump into some of these big mule deer bucks or like, you know, we, uh, Ford drew a goat tag last year. You know, there's your uh, idea of what consistent is wind-wise changes yeah. real fast. Oh, there's nothing consistent in the mountains, is there? Oh, <laughs> Those yeah. mountain breezes. Yeah. It's yep. the whole game pretty much, you know. It is. You just, you've got it. It's almost like you're, you know paraglider guy you're like all right what is the wind doing like up you know 300 vertical feet up the hill because it could easily be going right left swirl you know what i mean the guys that are the best at that are the guys that are generally the most successful yeah that's like all us bow hunters you become a wind professional reading thermals and directionals and then you know reading what it's doing through the canyon or on that other face and you start to learn you know what the winds are really doing in the mountains instead of just on your wind checker but any way you can tip those odds in your favor is a huge advantage and moreno wool is a big part of that massive i mean you know it's like you look at your watch you know if you've got a you know where they are it's a 1500 foot walk and there's still shade on the valley floor you're like you plan your day by knowing when soon as the sun hits the valley floor that it's going to go from draining to 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 having thermals blasting uphill you know Mm -hmm. so i don't know to your point i think any help you can get not smelling has got to be significant oh absolutely what's some of the big questions you guys get from from consumers when you're in a consumer show like dallas or if you're a Safari Club or SEI or something. What's what's some of the what's some of the biggest questions you guys get about the year? Like definitely the top, three. the top three are you know how does uh, how does Merino compare to synthetic? And we actually get that question far less than we used to. Yeah, people now, are starting to get educated. Yeah, that used to be the question, you know. And then now it's pretty much you know how does how does the uh, thirty-seven point five compare to um, Gore-Tex, mm-hmm. probably lesser for it. But the folks that really want to get in your face are like, what makes you different than yeah, this company? Yeah, but I'd say by and large, the question you get asked the most is like, why would I buy? Why would I buy the 37.5 versus Gore-Tex? Yeah, that's the biggest like, yeah. And what's the answer? I mean, that's we show you know basically in the top, I think like tier one, whereas the you know, the 37.5 stuff, the Gore-Tex stuff, the shoulder stuff, like and the new Cryptex stuff, that's damn nice stuff. But um, you've got, you know, basically you build stuff kind of for a balance between waterproof and breathability. You know, for mm-hmm. instance, like our jacket, they build waders in the, you know, 37.5 waders or have built wait, 37.5 waders in the same factory that we get our jacket built, right? So if we wanted to, we'd be like, 
all right, let's use the weighter material, right? right. And then right. we have a jacket that weighs, you know, probably an extra, I don't know, 12 ounces. But literally, you could go and, you know, be a crab fisherman. Right. But it wouldn't breathe at all. You know what I mean? So you're basically trying to find the sweet spot of breathability versus waterproofness, you know? And that's, you know, and, and that's why we have multiple rain jackets. We have a thinner two and a half layer rain jacket that's lighter, goes in your pack, and, you know, it'll get you through a couple hours storm. And we have a heavy duty jacket. But at a certain point, it's the law of diminishing returns. If you want a jacket that's truly like water ass proof, you're going to end up with a rubber jacket. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And it's not our goal to build something that's pretty much a rubber jacket, but not a rubber. You know what I mean? You still, it still needs to be breathable because mm -hmm. you're still going to be walking and putting out a pretty hard effort in even in our thickest rain gear, you know? So, um, I don't know, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but basically it's all kind of how you like to, you know, tip the scales and waterproof really what kind of glue layups do you use, what kind of, you know, it, it goes on and on. But, you know, that's for us, um, generally speaking, we think we've struck a really good balance between super waterproof and pretty damn breathable. You know? mm -hmm. Again, that is the challenge is finding that balance is uh, for the perfect jacket for the backcountry hunter. And I like that you guys offer the lighter weight 2.5 layer because right. that for a backpacker that just has to get through a Nevada rainstorm or whatever it is, that's the perfect piece because it's lightweight. It'll get you through a rainstorm. You'll survive. But that's a lot different from the needs of somebody hunting Alaska where it's raining all day, every day on you and you're hunting through it. Right. There, you need your heavier jacket it'll get you through and keep you dry for long periods of time but still breathe like you say you can't be wearing a, a heli hansen jacket a rubber jacket you, you'll get that thing so wet with sweat that it'll never do you any good so it's yeah. like you you guys are always trying to find that right balance for that piece of gear i like that you guys offer two jackets like that that's really cool yeah i mean it's it is because you know for around here um 90 percent of the time in my pack i'll have well if there's even a remote chance of rain in the forecast, which, you know, around here, certainly that time year, it can rain, you know, if we're in the mountains, you know, who knows what, but, you know, between that, the, the thin jacket weighs 12, 13 ounces. And, and then, you know, we have a, a thin insulation piece that weighs about the same. So, you know, you end up with 24 ounces, a pound and a half for a piece, for two pieces that could withstand some pretty nasty weather. You know, mm -hmm. you've got it. 60 gram insulation piece, um, quite light with the Cirrus and then a 12 ounce jacket that could, you know, definitely you'd walk out for a couple few hours, you know, if it was just like unleashed on you, you mm -hmm. know, or whatever, or, you know, you knock something down, you're like, we're not going home for, you know, at least a couple loads, you know, but then we have the seat, the, the heavy duty jacket for the jacket, that's the jacket you put on in the morning. You probably don't take off till you go back to camp. You right. Know? It's going to be raining all day. Mm -hmm. But even that, even with that Burley jacket, you're still, the goal isn't to replace a Heli Hansen or, a, you know, rubber jacket. Mm -hmm. You still want to breathe. It has to breathe so you can hike around. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We, we tested that jacket and we had guys commercially fishing in that jacket. We had that thing on, uh, you know, the seat, the heavy jacket. Uh, wow, you guys do have some good testers. Yeah. Yeah. We had, uh, we had that thing on a commercial uh, fishing boat uh, in Ketchikan last season, and they got uh, like two and a half inches of rain in 17 hours. <laughs> uh, it sounds a bit damp. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's you know it's, it's 
proven killer. And, you know, I hiked uh, a lot of these helicopter logging areas on Prince Wales last year. Mm -hmm. And you, I thought people who are familiar with it think I'm an idiot, I'm sure. But, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, helicopter logging. Like they selectively take trees out and it's going to be smooth sailing for hunting. <laughs> well, really what they do is they knock down every tree around the tree that they're going to take out with the helicopter. So I spent days just, you know, crawling over six foot diameter cedars, you know, sliding on your belly and getting that, you know, you're, you're rubbing all that dirt into your, you know, your nice DWR shell and, right. um, you know, in theory, like clogging that jacket up and it was a hundred percent waterproof. But, uh, you know, stuff like that. And then in BC last week, uh, I wore nothing but the vapor. And the last two days, it did nothing but rain. And, uh, you know, that, that thing was 100% waterproof. And we were probably getting on the edge of, you know, kind of where we really wanted that piece used. You know, really, we were thinking Montana, Idaho, Washington. Yeah. Rain yeah. squall comes in. Yeah, course, and then it works back up. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I think it fit into your water bottle right. holder on your saddle. You right. Know, so. Yep. No, and and that that I do all my testing in the Olympic Peninsula with two hundred inches of rain a year, and so you get to find out what a rain jacket will do and what it won't do, yeah, yeah. and that's where you need that piece that'll go all day, hundred percent dry. Because, like you say, you're climbing over underbrush and you're climbing over huge six foot logs, and you're just constantly getting that thing dirt and wear and tear and it yeah. still has to be waterproof or, or you're soaking wet out the, in the olympic peninsula nothing's colder than 35 degrees in Nicole, soaking wet that's yes. the most difficult temperature to deal with by far between whatever between you know 31 and 35 because everything's wet it's still raining mm -hmm. right and it's cold if it gets much colder than you know and if it's certainly if it's dry snow after you know 25 degrees just kind of falls off you know what i mean especially if you're walking you know and it, it's it actually presents far less of a problem than dealing with that that magic or not magic temperature i mean <laughs> light dry snow you really don't even have to put your shell on you can yeah. freeze in your marina right but get then you get into that yeah that's it's tough and then everything's wet too right so you know like even in the winter time winter camping if it's snowing cold you can find dry wood right you know what I mean? Whereas if it's if it's that you know hideous thirty four degrees, it's hard. Oh yeah, nothing burns, and you know, and that that's the thing too. Like you know, it's a lot easier to dry all your all your stuff out if you got a good fire. Obviously. So where's uh where does first light? Where's, where's what's the future of first light? Where do you see it going? You know, just um, building more stuff. But broader stuff, you know, the, 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 um, for us, the, uh, the whitetail thing has gone super well. So we've got more stuff, you know, in development for that. Um, and just keeping things going as far as just constant development goes, you know, like everything can be made better, you know, it's like nothing that we make do we ever feel like, oh, it's perfect, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, even moving into 18, we're, you know, just, we just tweak everything a little bit, uh, you know, add more stuff. But as soon as you just kind of get complacent, I think that's when you get competitors that, you know, are paying better attention. You know, for us being on the absolute cutting edge and making sure that we have, 
you know, seen everything, tested everything, um, is super important, you know, like anything that, you know, but, the, but you also can't be one of those like me too guys, right? Like there's a lot of things that will come out, for instance, and everybody's like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, you know, and the company, whatever hypes it up, you know, and then all of a sudden you test like, you know what, this is a step backwards. We don't want to sell shit just to sell it. You know, we want people to want stuff and make it better than what it started, what they had before. You know, right. we're not in the business of creating things simply because we feel like we need to create some buzz or something, you know. And as Ryan said, between everybody and all the different, you know, activities and all the different game everybody hunts, you know, every year. I mean, shooting the office alone is probably eight or nine different animals that people are going to have to go, you know, chase after on any given year. So it makes it so, you know, you just get better at making stuff, you know. Right. So, but like I said, we don't want to, we don't make anything unless it is really, you know, we feel like it's the best in category. You don't want to address needs that people came up with in this room. Right. 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 We want to address needs that people came up with in the field. Right. Right. And we're getting much, much better at saying, okay, let's quit talking about this prototype. Let's get it into the field and see how it does. Yeah. Because the longer we sit in here, we're like, well, what about this particular situation that happened once in the last seven years? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What about yeah. that? Or, yes. you know, people like, you know, we don't want to be the company that builds stuff predicated on internet banter. You know, mm. like, okay. We're going to make the lightest toothbrush in the world. Like, you know, we're going to make this, you know, like it's just, I, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of times people have too much time on their hands and they start to, you know, build these virtual kits and stuff. And they really don't understand the virtues of certain things, of why certain things do certain things. All that things like, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to go on this trip and I'm going to have, a, you know three pound backpack and you know they get there and then their sleeping pad feels like shit and then you know what I mean or their tent leaks or it's just like this myriad of just like dude there's a reason people use or guides use certain things certainly guides that know what's up you know right. or people that use stuff a lot use certain things and it's not because you know I don't I just think that there's when you're building a kit it, there's, there's a lot of kind of complicated decisions that come into place and you know i think i'd like to think that we at first i have really done our best it's not like you know somebody goes to some show somewhere on you know in whatever some magic place and they've got all these fabrics that nobody has ever heard of like right. everybody gets to see everything you know what i mean like when you know the treated down came out i mean that had been it come out years ago and everybody got to see it and see how it worked and tested it and it was like, hey, whatever, you know what I mean? There's, mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, or these, you know, and, and you can plainly see what fabrics companies use for their top tier, what, what fabrics people use for their mid tier or their price point, you know what I mean? Right. And it's like, it's no mystery. I mean, at the end of the day, you do have control of a lot of things and like where you move the, the needles, say, or where you move the dials, like how waterproof, how breathable, how this, how that. And, you know, that comes from experience. But, um, you know, for us, the Merino was a huge break because nobody had done it. Now everybody obviously does it. But I, I still feel like that we tweak it enough to where we can do it better than everybody else. But, you know, it's not that often that you find a product like 
that to where you get to introduce something that nobody really else has figured out. You know what I mean? If it wasn't for that, we probably wouldn't be, you know, we starting from scratch. But, but like I said, where we're headed is just incremental tweaks always, you know, just small right. little things. How can we make this better? After having a jacket, you know, out, guys are like, oh, you could make the the cuffs better. We make them better, you know, just, but in general evolution. And technology probably is changing too in the, in the fabric world. You know, Definitely. And you could have the most breathable uh, membrane in the world, but it may not it may not be waterproof. It's right. Some, you know, something like yours or Gore-Tex or, or exactly. Or whatever. And to further complicate matters is that sometimes you can have stuff that's quite waterproof, quite breathable, that's not very windproof. Right. Which is, sounds weird. Like, how can somebody not be windproof or waterproof? But it's there's just a lot of variables that come into play, you know. And the only way you get to know what you like the best is like pretty consistent testing. Right. You know, for the broad variety of people and you need to listen to those people you know you you know where i'm fully aware that you know my hunting grounds are are relatively you know and this time of year they're relatively hot and then in summer in the winter time they're much colder than a lot of people but the wet factor isn't here whereas you know we need to be able to listen to people or you know when we go to you know um wherever alaska bc you know or or mm -hmm. or or western washington western oregon you know those boys they're hunting and you know if you, you got to pay attention to what they have to say too because majorly because they're in a completely different you know environment you know i might go there for a week or i might go there right. for you know two five day trips or something but it's definitely not like this is where i'm hunting for the next hundred days you know right. so you got to be able to kind of spread out and get as much information as you can yeah. Um, well, man, it's such a pleasure to sit down with you guys and learn more about First Light. And I just, I love your company and how everybody's so involved in the outdoors, constantly evolving the gear for function, um, not just trying to put out the next hot ticket or the, the, the lightest weight. You're finding a balance um, so us backcountry hunters can stay longer in the woods and give us a better chance at harvesting trophies up there. So thanks a bunch, you guys, for sitting down with us. We really appreciate it, and uh, congrats on a great company. Thanks for having us. I really appreciate the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Congratulations on 10 years. Thanks, man. Jeez, yeah, it came fast. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's, uh, this is our 30th year. 30th? Oh, yeah, wow. That's very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Good. Luck in zeros. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thank so you. much. So we always have these great conversations when we get done with the podcast. Everybody gets warmed up and we get talking. And so we've got this idea now to, to try to get some good hunting stories out when we get done with the podcast. So Kenton's got a, real, a good one he's going to tell us here of when he quit Copenhagen. So... Um, I was hunting not far from here, I don't know, pretty, I don't know, I think it was pretty deep into elk season, so my, my, my pickiness had definitely gotten low, um, and, you know, we were walking, we slid our backpacks when we were walking in for the night, and we got into some bulls, and um, whatever, it just presented itself, I had a long shot, it was too long, and I took it, and I, um, you know, we sat there for an hour and went, found good blood. And then went to bed, set up camp, went to bed. And then the next day we went to go uh, follow it. And sure enough, we got on blood right away and it was good. And walked probably a couple hundred yards and then it laid down and then all of a sudden no blood. Nothing, right? So we sat there and walked around, gritted it out for, I don't know, a couple hours. And then um, I was just 
like, oh, you're such an idiot. Why'd you take the far shot? Why, you know, mm-hmm. we're going through your head. So we're walking back. We're actually walking back to get Cal. Um, call him up and call some other people up. And, and my, my like, old yellow lab. Yeah. We were like, you we blood, blood like yeah. you were not leave. Yeah. Only if you told her. <laughs> <laughs> After you know that we're walking back to the truck, we're like a mile away, and I'm just guided up like, ah, if I, you know, just started making promises, of course. I will quit chewing Copenhagen, and literally, so we're, I'm sitting there taking a leak. I'm a mile away from the trail, right? And we're sitting there, and um, I'm like, if I find this bull, I promise I'll quit Copenhagen. I, we literally take one step on the trail a mile from last blood and there's blood just like all down the trail and I was like why did I make that <laughs> why did I make that back like, what just happened did you have a chew in at that oh, moment oh yeah sweet sweet Copenhagen just like left. this is gonna be it this yeah, is the last this, one it was uh, I had a couple more uh, I was like, I, I did make a little, I was like, today's the last Yeah, day. the deal doesn't start till tomorrow. No, because <laughs> <laughs> you take apart that thing and take it apart, and, and uh, Copenhagen goes hand in hand with taking apart an animal. <laughs> so, no, so it leads us to say we, uh, so we walk down, follow blood, meet cow, cow comes in, and it wasn't a great shot. Um, that yellow lab got right on it, followed, you know, like, you know, whatever. We were just walking and found the other thing popped up. It was still alive, and I put another arrow in it, and that was it. That's how I had to <sighs> quit Copenhagen. <laughs> a lot of people ask me, why did you toothpicks? I said, because I used to chew Copenhagen, yeah. and it's either toothpicks or my lip. One of them's getting chewed through. That's right. Mm-hmm. You can always get another toothpick. Yeah, absolutely. It's for a good sure. thing. No, for sure. But um, it's funny. Be careful of the promises you make. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good thing you held to it. Otherwise, you'd never kill another yeah, bull again, yeah, right? Yeah, so, minimum. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know what kind of wrath. Uh, no, I have, that's it. That was, that was about five that years was, ago. I'm going to press you stuck to it. It was hard for that first little bit, you know. As you said, my wife was like, "What is wrong with you?" Like, you know. But it was, you know, whatever. Now it's not too bad. It's not, not, not unless I smell it, then I get kind of frightened. Because <laughs> <laughs> of this conversation, you're gonna go home and have a dream about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ryan, you got a hunting story for us? Um, I pick from the log of good hunts you've been on. Oh, well, you know that. Uh, that is truly what separates me from the pack. They're all good hunts. Mm-hmm. I just just time outside, isn't it? It's a huge part of it is enjoying your time outside and enjoying your hunt and the whole journey of it. That's what I really enjoy about it as well. One hundred percent. That's yep. with you, Kyle. Like if you, as soon as you start, you know, becoming too goal oriented, you just turned a super fun thing into work. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Man. I I have burned. I was talking to a, a guy online. Uh, the other day, he was asking me about hunts. It's like, yeah, I just, you know, it's a big deal, big draw for me, and I uh, don't want to eat this tag. And I was like, man, I can stuff a pillow sack full of unpunched tags. Yeah. I'm like, and they were all good hunts. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is just, just time outside. And, and, uh, what about the time you got lost in the bear country and had to sleep on that elk? That was pretty freaky. Oh, that was a long time. Yeah, so... Uh, Guy had just shot a grizzly bear in the drainage, um, and it charged him or something. Or 
they never knew me. Okay. Like, they, it was big forensic deal, and I don't think they ever tracked down, or, or nobody came forward who, who did it. But, you know, classic Montana, there's like, yeah, there's no grizzly bears here. Uh, and, uh, but let alone one turns out dead there. But a place I used to like uh, chasing elk, and uh, uh, I had my, had my dogs with me. Uh, they were sitting in, in back of the truck. Uh, I'm just going to run up this trail for 20 minutes. And I hiked for 20 minutes and uh, hit a cow call. Bull comes running in, watch this archery. Uh, it just worked out perfect. Zipped the thing and tipped over and boned the whole thing out. And it's uh, just, you know, it's first part of September in Montana. And, and uh, it was light till really late. And I had the whole thing boned out by. Uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And all I got to do is retrace my steps for 20 minutes and I'll be back to the truck. Well, I put half of this elk on, you know, it's just downhill to the truck, no big deal, right? I mean, painful, but throw half this elk on my back and blow past the truck in the middle of the night and drop off into this wilderness area. So I was right on the edge. Oh, of no. And, uh, and I'm just kind of, going and stepping over deadfall the whole way and finally i'm like boy i'm gonna hurt myself doing this and i'm lost (laughs) 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 my dogs are in the back of the truck with my gps so uh because they know how to use that yes exactly they're holding down camp for me and uh yeah so i ended up uh lighting a little fire you know rolling my pack down slope a little bit and trying to just be on the good wind side of the pack um but even though i'm drenched in blood and there's grazing and there's there's a, wounded grizz. a lot of grizz all over the place and, and uh woke up to a bunch of bulls bugling hiked out to the only road i could see couldn't figure out where the heck i was so i had to run the road down to get my orient orient myself so i was going the opposite direction turned around Ended up doing 10 miles road uh, back to the truck. (laughs) Drove down, picked up my stuff, drove back. Dogs were happy to see me. Hiked in, got the other half of the bowl. Drove back to town, and I had to do all the grocery shopping to go uh, pack into Bob that afternoon, Bob Marshall Wilderness, and uh, show up to go pack into Bob after this marathon evening. They're like, yeah. Good news and bad news. Good news is uh, we got oh, enough uh, stock to carry your stuff. Bad news is we don't have enough stock for you to ride in. Oh. <laughs> so I had to hike all the way into camp. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it's it's tough to come to terms when you're lost, isn't it? Just mentally to decide that you're going the wrong direction or figure out what went wrong. It's tough to make sense in your own brain of it, isn't it? Oh, I absolutely. And I'm always the person <laughs> that is like, oh, I can figure this out. Or it's going to be better for me in the long run if I just figure this out. Don't want to feel like an idiot sleeping on the side of the road, you know, but... <laughs> So you keep walking, going further, deeper away from your truck. Yeah, and I turned a, a 20-minute walk, having the whole bowl out that night, into, you know. 12-hour mess. Just a marathon. <laughs> yeah. Wow, How'd your... Clean. Yes. 
And how'd your legs feel the next day hiking into the bob? <laughs> oh, Matt, I think it was, you know, you just kind of hit that next level yeah. of uh, misery. Mm-hmm. And away you go. And yeah. I remember, yeah, I didn't stop to uh, get a ride across the Sun River. So I waded through the Sun River and it was just like the best feeling in the world. <laughs> Cold river water. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. So, yeah. But uh, we killed a bull within 20 minutes of uh, getting to camp. Oh, wow. Same that same day? day? Yes, and we pack, packed out another Back bull. to butchering. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that is a good story. Well, uh, thanks again, guys. Really appreciate meeting you and having you on the podcast and telling a couple stories. Oh, thanks. thank that you. Was great. great. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right, guys, that's an episode. Uh, really fun to meet and sit down with both uh, Ryan and Kenton. They just have so much passion for the outdoors and for hunting and, and for building the best gear they can. Um, you know, and being around that that office, that atmosphere just breeds creativity. Those guys are constantly trying to make improvements and, and create the, the highest quality gear they can for us hunters. You know, and, and having quality gear allows us to stay out there longer, be comfortable, um, you know, and it's, it's our, our, our last layer of protection against the elements, you know, and so, so it's really important that we have the right gear and first lights doing that they're building technical mountaineering gear, uh, from the ground up they have some of the best Merino, but they also are building, uh, all the technical stuff that, that you need to complete your system. So, uh, make sure to check out them and thanks to those first light guys for sitting down and recording the podcast. Um, again, just that fun time of year right now, uh, over there at Eastman's, we're all just getting out and, and enjoying our hunts and, and going for it and, and, uh, have more hunts coming up. And I mean, this is that time of year that we all work so hard for, you know, and I'm, I'm glad there's an off season. It, it gives you time to prepare and, and, uh, uh do your preparation for season. And, and then, you know, right now is, is your final exam. It's your test in the mountains to go out and, and test your skills and, and test your wits and, and try to come out on top and come home with a little meat. And so, um, just, just so enjoyable. I just can't wait. And speaking of, you know, I'm going to get this podcast out and I'm going to take off and do a little antelope hunting this, this evening. And it opened yesterday, uh, but I'm just getting home from this last adventure hunt. And so I didn't go out yesterday, but yeah, I'm going to start hitting it and getting out for on the prairie for these antelope. Uh, just so much fun to chase around with bow and arrow. So just so fortunate that I have a tag and that um, you know, I'm so close to where my antelope hunting is that I can go out in an evening and go chase these things around. So hopefully you guys got some good hunts coming up or, you know, maybe you're on a good hunt and travel in there now. So, um, man, I wish you guys all the best. Uh, you know, you guys are the guys that are working hard, gathering as much information as you can about hunting and, and trying to be your absolute best out there in the woods. So, um, Make sure to tag me in your photos if you guys uh, harvest a trophy and and make sure to send us your story over there at Eastman's and and uh, check out the magazine as well. We're still running that promo code uh, 20 bucks for both magazines, which is a heck of a deal. Uh, elevated 617 the promo code uh, and, and you can uh, get on to Eastman's hunting and uh, plug that in and you'll get that deal. And uh with that, let's wrap this thing up and get me uh, with my camo on and out in the woods and, and hopefully you guys too. So I'll be checking in with you guys next week.